Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Good morning, everybody. Today I'm speaking with Brian Grake um, from um, a company called Cosant Cybersecurity. Uh, Brian is a, is a virtual CISO over that company. And looking at your resume, Brian, I see that you've um, made your way to the corporate ladder, started off in companies such as Motorola and Apollo Group, and moving on to various roles as a CTO. And then I think there was some kind of a transition, possibly around your time at CA, maybe after CA, where you transition into the security realm. And you've held a number of um, managerial positions as well as senior director of information security. And, and right now you're uh, at the seat of the VCZO over at Cosant. I believe this is a company based out of uh, Tampa, Arizona. Uh, but if you could, uh, you know, step in and introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure, love to. Um, yeah, I've got about 40 years of experience. Most of it is in actually in information security. Uh, so I actually started in at college, uh, getting involved in InfoSec and First job I got out of college, I was working for a telecommunications company, uh, which was just starting into the um, the computer realm, let's just say. And uh, so I got pulled into security immediately there. And then after moving to Arizona, um, I had a, a position at Motorola where I was brought in as a program manager. And then within just three months, I got pulled into a brand new group that was being formed, a corporate group. I was the youngest member on staff and I uh, was the youngest engineer and got pulled into a group that was doing all the planning work for Motorola Worldwide. So I was there at Motorola for 10 years, um, held several top positions in InfoSec throughout several different companies. Uh, at CA, I was reporting to virtual offices as CTO, went off to a startup. I was a CTO there and we sold the startup within a year to McAfee. And then came back to CA as the vice president running all of their security division. Um, we had 32 products, all security products that we were selling. And until that company uh, was actually, or until uh, CA sold off the security division, I was there. That was over five years. And then went into Verizon. Was at Verizon running a lot of the security stuff there for about four years of which it, kind of the pinnacle was actually getting involved in the Obamacare site, which was hacked uh, before uh, Verizon got a hold of it um, to take over the security. So I was responsible for going to Washington, D.C. and actually helping to re-secure the Obamacare site, which is a healthcare.gov. Then I, I've um, had a couple of other different IT operations and security operations uh, positions that I got into, mainly to keep me into the Arizona area. I was tired of traveling worldwide. And then I've been with COSAN for a couple of years uh, doing consulting and virtual CISO work of which I absolutely love. So 40 years of, uh, of most of the time. And like I said, most of the time has been in InfoSec. So um, it's been a really great journey so far. 
Well, well, that's uh, that's quite a journey, uh, and anxious yeah. to to hear your thoughts about some of the questions I have, and you know, you might uh, be able to uh, to provide some unique perspective as someone who you know who's been in the corporate world and also in smaller companies as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we get started with drilling down into uh, the the questions, um, I usually start off by you know asking a couple of icebreakers just to get to know the the, the people I'm, the the individual I'm speaking to better. Uh, if you could share um, anything about your marital status and your favorite drink, that would be great. Sure, marital status, married, forty one years. Uh, don't know how she's been able to put up with me that long, but uh, it's been a wild ride for 41 years. I've uh, got one daughter, uh, just got married actually just a month ago. And my favorite drink is actually tea. Um, I'm a big uh, tea drinker. Uh, if I am going out for alcohol, it's got to be a margarita or at least tequila. So um, not a scotch or a bourbon drinker. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, you know, worse in one bubble. But uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Let's dive right in. You know, uh, the, you know, the purpose of this podcast is basically to uh, provide our listeners with some uh, views on how to get there, basically, and, and some experience sharing. If there's one thing you wish you'd know, known before you begin your career, what would that be? Oh, easy. I wished I'd have known how fast cybersecurity was going to grow and how many people would have been needed back in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, it was an area to where people thought it was kind of like a niche, really wasn't a, a place for people if you wanted to, you know, make good money or have a long-standing career. Uh, there was just, there wasn't that many people in it. But um, as of the late 90s and early 2000s, it just completely exploded until now, you know, there's a million, over a million jobs out there open for cybersecurity and infosec people that can't be filled. So it's a it's a great uh, place to be right now, especially if you have an interest. Yeah, um, I agree with you on that. Actually, I, I had an interesting conversation uh, during the last podcast I recorded with uh, uh, another founder that's running also a sort of a virtual CISO company who has a somewhat uh, unique perspective about that, about the one million jobs like in opening. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I am aware of that, and it's very hard to find the qualified uh, uh, personnel and, and staff staff your company. Uh, so definitely, it's a great space to be in. Um, if there's one big failure that you that you had, and you know, and what you learned out of it, what would that be? Oh, the uh, the failure, I guess, would have been thinking that I would be satisfied in doing just IT operational work. Uh, I got involved in several different companies to where I was working just in the IT space. And what I always found was is that I naturally and immediately gravitated to the security side. Uh, when I was running operations at Apollo, uh, I had all the operations, computer center network, everything else uh, reporting to me. And we had all sorts of security issues. And what I found was is that the security wasn't being addressed. And, uh, and that was ended up taking up more of my time than almost anything. So I think of anything, I had I known it earlier, I would have continued to focus most, if not all of my career on staying in the infosec and the cybersecurity realm, not trying to diverge and try to be, uh, you know, everything in IT. Yeah, and you know, that's interesting. I think historically speaking, well, at least for the 
I want to say past 20 years, I think a lot of the, um, the, the leaders in our industry have grown either from you know the IT space and thinking uh, maybe 10 years ago, maybe from uh, the development space, I would say, but I think traditionally yeah. IT was, trans some, some of the IT professionals were transitioned into the, what was then called information security, what we now call cybersecurity, right? Uh, and it seems like, um, you know, that was the, um, the way it was back then. Um, I think right now, you know, with um, the shift left uh, tendencies and uh, the, uh, what you call the, the SDLC development lifecycle, mm -hmm. ops, DevOps, I think now those two, like a bunch of uh, domains start to get meshed into one another together. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, traditionally IT was, uh, you know, the, 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 what do you call it? Like the, the leaping board from which you transition into yeah. the information security. Yeah, exactly. That, that leaping board is a, is a good analogy to it. Um, you know, the thing is, is it gave me a lot of inside knowledge, experience and uh, capabilities, which led me to be improved in the security side. Uh, and but now I see people going into and doing nothing but cybersecurity, and sometimes they lack that ability of understanding the network, understanding software and development, understanding how the you know the servers operate and you know things like that. But you know, for the time, it was perfect for me because it allowed me to be able to have a knowledge base across the industry. So the virtual CISO work that I'm doing today, it was perfect for that. But for a person that wants to just focus nothing but on cybersecurity, I would have loved to have had more, you know, more time, more education, just delving deeper into cybersecurity. Yeah. And I think today the industry is very different than what it was, right? Because today you could have a career in cybersecurity without having, you know, um, prior knowledge about network architectures, operating yeah. system even. I mean, you can have a career as a SOC analyst and you can move your like up the ladder in that space or you could you know uh, be in devops or secops or you have so many options nowadays so it's uh, i think the market is quite different than what it was yeah it is that's true um and today you can specialize just like you said in those different areas because there's so much need for that specialization where you know 20 years ago you had to know at all you know there wasn't enough people to to really be necessary to handle, you know, hey, I don't need an application security guy. I don't need a uh, a network security guy. I don't need a server security guy. I need a server guy or a security guy that can cover all everything. Where, like you said, today, very specialized. Yeah. And, you know, talking about that and what you perceive to be your failure, is there anything you would have done differently looking back? Oh, I would have loved, loved to have gotten a master's or even a PhD in uh, cybersecurity. It wasn't offered. Um, it wasn't until like the 2000s. I mean, in the, you know, like 2000, I think six, seven, maybe eight, to where you even saw any college offering a master's degree in security. And it just wasn't there. And so I would have loved to have, uh, you know, in, gotten a, more education, more training in that. You know, I went through all of the NIAC and the GSEC and, and those kind of trainings that, you know, that were offered and available. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the areas where I, I kind of wished, I, I think it was a little bit ahead of the curve, but I, I kind of wished I would have had more opportunities to have gotten into uh, either getting more education or even teaching more, too. Yeah. 
You know, I think uh, when I went to college, they didn't have any cybersecurity programs. And and I did take like one course in encryption and obviously like a bunch of uh, industry certifications. But um, yeah, I think that, that was relatively either new or maybe we didn't have it where I was growing up. Um, maybe they did have it here in the U.S. But uh, okay. yeah, and you're a lot younger than I am too. <laughs> so uh, mm, most of the only true. trainings available to me early in my career was SANS trainings. Yeah, uh, that was about it. So yeah, I'm not sure if I'm a lot younger than you, but uh, maybe <laughs> slightly. Not that, not that young anymore. <laughs> um, but that's a daily, a different daily struggle. In any case. Um, can you share anything about the best resources that have helped you along the way? Oh, absolutely. Uh, number one, definitely mentors. I have been lucky enough to have worked for what I believe were a couple of the, the best mentors that I've ever known in my entire life. And I mean, I've been around a lot of really, really, you know, high level people. Uh, I got a chance to actually take a course from Henry Kissinger. You know, the, the, the famous, you know, negotiator of all time. And um, so that was incredible. But I had two mentors uh, in my career that just, I think, just really blew away my boundaries for thinking about your job and education. Completely changed my world. Um, the other one, I think, would be um, the conference presentations. Uh, I was lucky enough to actually go to present at a lot of conferences. So because I was there presenting, I got to actually sit in on a lot and, and watch, learn, look, you know, listen to and learn from a lot of very, very smart people around the world. Um, that I think uh, was also another area to where I think it increased my, my knowledge, not just in the industry, but also culturally and uh, believe it or not, spiritually. There's a, a lot of conferences to where they, you know, they'll go into other areas that you wouldn't think maybe, you know, people would be touching upon, you know, career growth, you know, there's a natural, but we're talking about things like, you know, how to be a better leader or how to uh, mentor or how to coach people, things like that in some of these technical conferences. So those were great. I loved them. Okay. And, you know, speaking about uh, mentors, did you want to uh, name drop anyone? Because uh, that's actually my oh. next question. <laughs> Love to. Um, I haven't given her enough due, uh, but I had a, a boss when I was at um, Motorola. And she was one of only, I believe, six executive, female executives at Motorola at the time. And her name was Randy. And she uh, was incredible. She ran the organization and a couple of things that she told me really stuck with me. One was, she said, you know, you're the smartest engineer that I know, but you need to go back to school and get a degree in business because technical, you can only go so far. But if you're on the management side and the, and the leadership side, you know, the sky's the limit. And I did. I went back to school, got my degree in business, and it really did. It changed my entire life. Um, second one, name is Yogesh, Yogesh Gupta. He was the CTO at CA. Uh, he was actually said, uh, I think the, there was an article written about him that he was one of the 10 best CTOs of the um, 1980s and 90s. Uh, so incredible guy. I reported to him at the office of the virtual CISO, or CTO, and he put me through all sorts of trainings to be able to speak on behalf of him and the office. And so I got involved in learning in 
areas that I just never even believed, you know, that I would ever be touched upon. Uh, back in, in the 90s, whoever heard of, of cloud? Well, back then we called it, um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the name for it. Now we call it, you know, the cloud. But back then it was something computing, um, like power computing or something like that. I don't remember the name. Was it um, cloud computing? No, no, they didn't use the word cloud. Um, but it was, it was the pre precessor to cloud. And so I was actually involved in that. I was involved in mobile security and SDLC. You know, before that was a big term. Uh, I got my um, uh, ISO and, and training and um, uh, architectural training, you know, during that time. Uh, just a lot of very, very in-depth and, and forward-looking technology training. So couldn't say enough. He was a great guy to work for. Uh, then the last one is a local guy. His name is Mark, Mark D, I'll say, just, you know, so we don't uh, drop too much of the name there. <laughs> but um, I've known Mark for, oh, guys, 10, 15 years and would love to watch this guy work as an MC or a person leading or a person presenting at a conference. Uh, he'd do a lot of MCs for conferences. He'd do a lot of presentations for conferences. Very, very smart. He was a senior level executive. But what Mark taught me was more about um, polishing your presence in front of an audience. Um, you know, I thought I was a good presenter, but watching him and learning from him and taking part in some of the things that he's done, it really did. It, it uh, took me from a coal to, you know, being a rough hoon diamond, you know. Uh, so he was a great guy, great mentor, great person to watch and learn from. Okay, thank you. And by the way, I, I, it might have been called distributed computing back then, but I'm distributed I'm, computing. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Good memory. Distributed computing. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I remember it from uh, one of the MCSC's exam. I, I took uh, yeah. in 2000. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. became the cloud. Yeah. And back then, it was such a you know a turmoil because you know we went from the mainframe and you know, being locked in the bubble in the glass wall room and no, nothing went out. And then, you know, distributed computing went, you know, with servers and, and you, you know, you broke it up to the, to the, uh, to the data center. And then it came right back around. Now let's put it all out there somewhere in somebody else's data center that they manage. And we just use the, you know, the power cycles from them. So and interesting how the industry seems to be like a pendulum. Got it. Now, uh, you know, talking about our industry, was there any one common myth that you wanted to debunk? Well, I think the biggest one is that this is a man's industry. I have had so many really, really good females work for me, or um, I remember one, I did a conference and this lady comes up to me afterwards. She said she was a network person, but she said, you know, having listened to you, I, I'm gonna get into security. And sure enough, within like three years, she contacted me out of the blue, said she was now the CISO for one of the largest healthcare companies in California. And she said it was because of the presentation I gave like three years before that got her started in that. So that was a great example. I've had some others working for me that I've mentored and coached and, and they've gone on to do some great things. But I think the big thing is, is that I love getting out in front of like college audiences. I used to do presentations to universities and colleges all over the country. And I would love to try to entice females to understanding 
that they not only are an equal in InfoSec, they actually have an edge. And by the edge, what I mean is that a lot of companies out there have governmental contracts. They are required to hire minorities. So being a female with an education in InfoSec gives you that ability to be able to get the job over another guy that's just out there and maybe even has better you know, um, experience than you do, but it gets you in the door to where you can prove yourself. So because of that, you know, I, I continue to profess that InfoSec is not a guy's uh, industry. It is an equal opportunity industry and women just have to be that much more aggressive about getting out there. There are some really, really top leaders, uh, Mary Davidson from uh, uh, Oracle and such. Uh, that's just one example, love her. Uh, but there's a lot of women out there in the InfoSec industry that have been in it for as long as I have. So that's one of the areas where I, I continue to kind of profess and expound upon to, to try to get more women into the industry. Um, I, I've got five sisters in my family, and that's one of the things that I love to say is that, you know, a woman can do anything a guy can do, and sometimes even better. Usually even better, I would say. But yeah. uh, there you go. <laughs> that's what they would say. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I know we've spoken about the fact that you're virtual CEO right now, and I'm not sure if all of our listeners really know what that means. Can you yeah. talk a bit about that and maybe more specifically about the market that you operate in? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Um, I do have to explain that once in a while. So a lot of companies, uh, big companies, banks and such, they can afford to hire a CISO, a chief information security officer. But at the very minimum, you're talking $250,000, $500,000 for a good seasoned CISO. Well, a lot of smaller, medium-sized companies can't afford it. So what they started doing back in the early 2000s was they would do what's called fractional CISOs. And what it was, was a, uh, a CISO would divide up his time between three or four different companies. And he would say, you know, I'm a, I'm a fractional CISO for company A, B, C, and D. Well, that turned into an actual industry to where in the uh, late 2010s, you know, 2016, 18, whatever, we started seeing virtual CISOs coming up. And what it is, basically it's the same thing as a fractional CISO, which is that a company can't afford a full-time CISO. So I provide the CISO services, the education, the experience, the knowledge, the consulting to several companies. I split up my time across them and I do consulting for those companies. And what they do is they basically pay a portion of my time. Each one of them pays, let's say, you know, 10%, 20% of my time. So that allows me to have, you know, five, 10 customers, whatever, and spread my, my abilities and my knowledge across more companies. It turned out to be much, much better than working for one company uh, because I get to work with so many different companies and I get to be able to help out so many different companies grow that really have a desire to, to grow much better than, you know, a large company to where you're making a minor difference in their operation here. I'm making a major impact to multiple different companies. I love it. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, can I assume that you're working with smaller companies then? Obviously not. Absolutely, bad. absolutely. I've got uh, two companies that are less than 10 people. And the rest of my clients are between 20 and 70. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've only got I'll see two, two of my clients that are over a hundred people. That's it. 
So yeah, my, my focus is right around that, you know, medium sized company that's doing anywhere from, you know, 10 to $50 million a year. Uh, that's the sweet spot. That's where people can afford the services. Uh, they really need it. They need that security because of their industry that they're in or because of protection of their, their IT assets, uh, intellectual property, that kind of thing. Got it. And can I assume it's like across the board, like fintech and health and whatever? Yes, I, I carry, I'm, I'm an expert in HIPAA. Um, I do SOC, I do ISO, I do uh, CMMC, which is the governmental. So we have a lot of DOD type of uh, companies, companies that sell directly to the government. Uh, I have a SaaS company, software company that I, I work with. So there's a, I, I carry the gamut, everything from finance to healthcare to governmental to manufacturing to services. No, thank you. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you know, working with these uh, like all all types of customers, what are the common challenges that you see? Again, without divulging any sensitive information. Yeah, in general, never speaking, do that. Yeah, generally <laughs> speaking. Generally speaking, I think the challenges are the same. How do I secure my environment the most efficient way possible, spending the least amount of money that I can? How do I become compliant, but how do I become more secure? And usually people think that uh, I become more secure by being compliant. It's not. You can be compliant. It's a checkbox. I can be compliant with different you know, standards and check them off, no problem, but I might not be secure. Uh, I've written a couple of articles out there that um, you can actually, you know, people can find. Uh, one of them is about how some of these security standards that are out there aren't addressing the real problems. And so we've been doing a lot of what's called a basic risk assessment to where we find that um, a company has a risk in an area that a security compliance isn't even touching. Uh, we've seen examples of that happen recently here with the, the pipeline that got hacked into. Uh, that came through because they had their email platform was five years out of date. Uh, we, we see those kind of things happening all the time. And that isn't something that you that you can check off in a compliance. You know, it says you should have things up to date and patched and whatever, but there's nothing forcing people to do that. So that's one of the areas where I think that it's it's a common challenge across the industry. It doesn't matter where you're at. Yeah, I've actually written an article about two years ago called uh, Compliance is BS. So we're on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, basically, I mean, talking about from a different angle about what you were mentioning right now. And, and you know, you might know that uh, part of the, the businesses uh, that I own, you know, deal with compliance. So I don't really feel it's yes, yes but uh, I do understand the, you know, the, the challenge between what compliance means, what it should mean, and, you know, uh, what really happens. Uh, that I mean, anything, there's a difference between demonstrating to an auditor and actually practicing what it is that you need to be. Doing, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Why can't we get that through to lawmakers? You know, they, they seem to understand that, or they think they understand that the only way to drive security is by forcing somebody to be compliant. You know, um, PCI, I think, is the only real example that really worked. And the only reason that worked was because it was an industry standard created by the credit card industry that said, if you're not going to do this, we're going to just cut you off. You can't take credit cards. So that really had some teeth in it. But 
these these new compliance standards they don't have teeth they don't really attack the heart of insecurity you know so i i love what you said you know uh, compliance is bs because in actuality i would much rather have a company look at how to be secure rather than how to be compliant but unfortunately it's a necessary evil at this point in time yeah and then, you know about pci so this is actually how i started my first business um you know becoming a qsa um for pci qualified security assessor and the fact of the matter is that before they have pci in place the the amount of fraudulent activities was so much higher than it is right now so and you are right they do have it does have teeth but but i i would argue that even iso 27001 or SOC 2 have teeth just a different kind because this is mandated by your customers most likely and then you, you can just i mean if you don't demonstrate some types of compliance you might not get a deal right yeah so it's not absolutely uh, it's not as harsh as you know we're cut off as the payment industry has done but uh it is you know somewhat enforceable i would i would argue yeah i was a qsa also years and years ago uh and so that was interesting point of of i only did it for probably one or two years because it just it wasn't satisfying uh you know i'd go in and, and work with a company to help them audit to you know to be pci compliant but it really wasn't getting anything out of it i i felt i felt like i had more value in helping a company to be secure rather than auditing them so that that was just a short-lived kind of uh, area of my career that i'm glad i kind of got out of real quickly but like you said, um, it does, you know, there, the ISO does have some teeth, uh, maybe some little, you know, molars and maybe a couple of incisors, but, but uh, ISO, the only thing generating it is a customer's requirements, you know, hey, I want you to be ISO, you know, 27,001 certified or whatever. But I have seen a lot of ISO certified companies that aren't secure uh, and their operations are very refined but they may not be the same level as what another company is that, that has no ISO certification. So I guess it all depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, no argument there. Um, you know, talking a bit about um, vendor relationship management. So you're an external vendor yourself, and I'm assuming yes. you have relationship with other vendors as part of your role as a virtual CISO. Uh, is there anything you can, you know, provide us in terms of advice and on how to play well together with additional vendors in the mix? Absolutely. Um, we've got a uh, VP of business development at uh, COSANT, uh, Mark Kirstein, and Mark is incredible. Um, he has a, a really good methodology for working with partners, and we call them partners, and he refers to them as in our eco ecosystem. And it's really kind of an interesting relationship because it is a really symbiotic one. Uh, we have a lot of MSSPs that we deal with. We give them business and, you know, because we have customers that are looking for somebody to handle their IT and their security. So they're looking for somebody to take over, which would be an MSP or an MSSP. So then on the MSS or MSP or MSSP side, they have companies that work with them that say, hey, I need somebody to help me be compliant, or I need somebody to help me, you know, be more secure. And they refer people to us. It's really quite interesting the way that this that this uh, business that we've gotten into has a very mutual, beneficial kind of a relationship with it. Uh, so much so to where I was actually invited to 
the Acronis World, which was in um, Miami, Florida last year. And I actually did a, a, a conference, a speaking engagement for them, uh, speaking about security and MSSPs. So that's the that's a relationship we're trying to cultivate, and it's worked out very valuable for everybody involved. Uh, we also have relationships with privacy officers, DPOs, data privacy officers. We have relationships with auditors, and those relationships, again, are very symbiotic. We're giving customers to them. They're finding customers that need consulting or help. In several of the regulations, you there's a very big dividing line between consulting and auditing. You can't do both. So we find that those people on the right side, the auditors, uh, will then look for people that can help their customers on the left side, consulting. And that's where they send people to us. Yeah, most well, specifically, like, you know, ISO 27001 is one example. You know, as an external auditor, you can't do anything as yes. in, in ways of consulting. Right. SOC has the same thing. SOC yeah. 2. Um, CMMC, same thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them. They want that division between helping and auditing. That way, you can't, you know, you're not the uh, you're not the 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 wolf in the chickens, you know, yeah. uh, roost. You know, when starting when you start working with a new customer, what's typically your biggest challenge? Wow, trust. Um, they typically, I'll find a lot of customers will look up my background in LinkedIn which is good uh, because they see, you know, the kind of things I've done. I've got 40 years of experience. They see that I've worked with big companies and small companies, everything from a startup to a fortune 29 I've worked for. Uh, they see that I've got experience both in operations as in software development and in security. So I like that when they, when they look it up and they, they find out what I've got, but there's still that area to where you've got to build that trust. And the way that I do that is with honest communication. Um, it seems like it's the, the fastest and best way to do, which is share some things with, with my customers personally, get to know them, let them get to know me a little bit, and then have honest discussions about where they are in the journey. And, and we call this a journey because there is no goal. There is no ending. Uh, it's not like we're taking a trip to you know New York City. You don't get to security and then you say, okay, I'm done. I'll just sit back and rest uh, every day. There's something new that happens. Every day, there's another zero-day alert. Every day, the Russians or the Chinese are finding a new way to hack into us. So uh, security is a journey. And what we like to do is we like to be at that position to where we can help our customers to be more efficient on that journey. Okay, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, yeah. same question when starting to work with a new vendor. What was, what, what's the biggest challenge there? Oh, wow. Getting to know their environment. Uh, everybody's environment is so different. Um, I've got one customer now that is completely 100% virtual. Now, if somebody would have told me that 10 years ago, I'd have told them they were crazy. There's no way you could run a company being 100% virtual. How would you do it? How, how could you trust your employees? How would you know what they're doing? How could you keep them secure? You know, they have completely broken the paradigm. And it, what is so funny is as we're going into some of these security regulations, even the auditors don't know how to handle it. You know, yeah, the auditors will say, okay, yo, where's your data stored? In the cloud. No, no, no. Where is your data stored? In the cloud. No, no, no. Physically, where, what state is your data stored? 
in the cloud. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how am I going to tell you, auditor? It's it's there. You know, I can't tell you what physical geographical location it's at. Now, with some places like Amazon, I can specify it's in the East Coast or the West Coast. Uh, but very few companies I can say, well, it's sitting in Seattle, Washington. You know, just isn't going to happen. So even auditors are having a, a challenge trying to audit a virtual company. And, um, and what would you say is the biggest difference basically between a virtual CISO and a full-time CISO with, with the exception of obviously the, you know, the compensation package? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the compensation is, is probably the key one. I could make a lot more money working for a, a big, you know, fortune 100 company being a CISO, but you have to be on call 24 by seven by 365. Uh, a lot of the positions I've had in the past, I traveled worldwide. Uh, you know, you burn the candle at both ends. I think that the, the really big difference between my role and a full-time CISO, you know, not a virtual, I should say, not full-time, not, not that I'm not full-time, I'm full-time, just virtual. Uh, I think the only thing that's different is the commitment to the work. And that is, is that a full-time CISO has to divide up their time between the business, the finance, the budget, and security. As a virtual CISO, I can focus with my customer just on InfoSec or cybersecurity. I can completely do nothing but help. They're going to worry about the budget. They're going to worry about how I get paid. They're going to worry about the contracts. They're going to worry about, you know, getting funding for the next round of, you know, for their startup. I only have to worry about how to make them better on cybersecurity. So that's one of the reasons I love this. I love this work. Thank you. Uh, great feedback. Um, you know, in your opinion, if I were to talk to one of your customers, what would uh, the feedback I um, I would get be? What would they say about you? Well, I think probably a lot of them would say I'm a quiet, shy kind of a guy. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, no, um, as you can tell, I I am very um, I, I speak a lot. I do a lot of conferences, so speaking verbally and and you know having a conversation is very very easy to me i'm not an extrovert but people think that i am i think that if you ask my customers i think what they would probably tell you is i'm extremely hardworking. i'm very knowledgeable about security i know so much about so many different areas and i think the other thing is i've had customers call me at all hours day and night and whatever and i will pick up the phone and i will help them no matter what uh, i think that and I hope that um, all of my customers would say the number one thing that they like about me is that I care about them. I care about my customers. Uh, what I'm doing isn't for a paycheck. What I'm doing is for making my, my clients more secure so that they can protect their intellectual property so that they can continue to grow. That's my primary goal. Okay, thank you. And uh, who would you say is your ideal customer? What type of qualities do they have, um, personalities and so on? You know, I've got all sorts of different personalities in the people that are my single point of contacts for different companies. I've got quiet, reserved, shy. I've got one of my customers has a, a degree in microbiology, 
but yet he's a CTO for a tech company. Very, very interesting guy. I love talking with him. I don't think that there's a personality. I don't think that there's a industry. What I think is the ideal customer is somebody that really cares about improving their security and securing their intellectual property. That I think is the ideal customer. Um, I have worked with, now I don't have any currently today, but I have worked with companies in the past that said, you know, just, just make us checkbox compliant. We just want to be able to check off the boxes to say we're compliant. We don't care about being really secure. We just want to be compliant. That's the worst thing because if all you're trying to do is be compliant, like you said earlier on in the conversation, it doesn't mean you're secure. And those are the companies that I've watched get hacked into, lose everything, and they're out of business in 30 days. We've seen again and again in the news, in the industry, companies get hacked into because nobody is focusing on cybersecurity. Uh, there's not a big enough budget. Um, you know, the CISO always gets blamed because it's their fault, even though you know, the budget was only 10% of what they got, you know, five years ago. So, like I said, I think that the ideal customer is just somebody that cares about being, you know, getting improvements in the security. Got it. Thank you. And I think that answers my next question about qualities that you don't like in a customer. Um, yeah, I think we nailed that one. Uh, yeah. yeah, just get me certified. I don't care how, just give me, no, we, we can't do that. Uh, we got to do it the right way uh, because auditors, if they're good, they will find the gaps. And I've worked with a lot of really good ones. <laughs> uh, any specific, uh, we're coming to an end, uh, you know, for this episode, any, anywhere specific you, you can, uh, you, our listeners can connect with you online. Would it be like uh, any social media platform or anything else, anywhere else? Yeah. The only social media platform that I use is LinkedIn as far as on a business side. Uh, just get me at, um, you know, brian.grike. You know, it's B-R-I-A-N dot G-R-A-Y-E-K at LinkedIn.com or LinkedIn, you know, and um, uh, connect up with me there. I do a lot of conversation with people via email, um, willing to answer any kind of questions. I do, like I said, I do like to write stories. I like to write articles in newspapers, magazines, uh, InfoSec pro, uh, Professional uh, just got published one of my articles in the January, February issue, in fact. So... Uh, anybody reads the stuff I've got out there and you want to comment on it, provide your own point of view, uh, argue with me about my points. Hey, I love it. Um, uh, you know, but like I said, LinkedIn is the best way to contact with me. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, you know, for final question, uh, let's assume money was never an issue. What would you do with your life? You know, I've always wondered if I won the lottery, what would I do? <laughs> you, ever, you ever wonder about those? You're probably um, the only one. Yeah, <laughs> I've always thought about it. You know, I'd love to go back to school. I always thought, hey, I'd love to go back to school and just learn the things that I that I want to learn without having to care about anything else, you know. But now that I've gotten to that point in my life, you know, I think what I'd really love to do is just travel and do presentations, you know, conferences all over. I've been offered that before, uh, but I never took it up because, you know, I had a daughter and wanted to spend, you know, time and, and helping her to grow. But I think now, you know, that I'm, you know, getting older in my age, um, traveling around, doing presentations, how to be more secure easily. That's something that, you know, I would, I would actually think about doing if I didn't have to worry about money. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, right. So uh, I think with that, 
you know, we could leave this episode on a high note. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking the time and clearing your calendar for me today. I know uh, you're probably busy uh, and I enjoyed the conversation, uh, hoping it was uh, mutual. And I did take a few notes here, so got some great insights from you and hoping great. those would resonate with our listeners. Yeah, I, I love hearing feedback from people. Um, I'm looking forward to it because I think there were some great questions. Uh, good interaction, and I'm just uh, really looking forward to hearing this and how it goes in the, the final production and looking to uh, see what kind of feedback we get. It's Very, fun. Yeah, soon. It's going to happen soon. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a good one. Thank you. Okay, Thanks. you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm,